So last week, my greatest sorrow became some of yours, some of y'all's, some of you people's greatest joy. Jeremy and I had planned on the video and had worked on the video and had conspired on the video and had a special guest show up for the video and went to a special location and put in hours of preparation and work only to discover that we did not capture the audio. So I stripped everything down and you got the bare bones version of the New Orleans special. But it's okay because we're talking about the wilderness, and even though the wilderness that you got to see was not the wilderness I had planned on, it was wilderness nonetheless. Some of you heard the, the sounds in the background of, of what it was, but I want to promise you that that was a one-time thing. You will never get a 10-minute sermon again. I feel like you pay for more than that, and so I want you to have more than that. Um, before we open our Bible this morning, would you go with me to God? God, thank you for the opportunity to get to talk about your word. I thank you for the chance to open the covers of a declaration from a creator to its creation. A story of love and redemption, of mercy, of justice, of sin being washed away, of glory being restored and recognized. God, thank you that that is our story. That you gave it to us out of your great love for us. God, that your desire is that we would know it. So that we would know you better. And that by knowing you better, we would be able to share with others the story of your great love. So God, as we open your word today, may you receive glory from our time together, from the meditations of our heart. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're still with Jesus in the wilderness. And I know that some of you are thinking, four Sundays is enough, let's move on. we still got a little time left. And I think when we get impatient, that is when we keep God from doing his best work within us. And so I am excited that we are still in the same story. And I'll tell you that it always fascinates me whenever we can turn to a passage of Scripture again and again and again and God's not finished talking to us through it. That each time we open up the pages, we can see a new message that God has for us. And so today, we're still with Jesus in the wilderness. And we're looking at how Jesus addressed the one who came to take away his call. We've talked a lot about our calling. We've talked a lot about our identity. And I hope you're getting a big picture of exactly who God has called his people to be. And I hope you're getting a bigger picture of who God is calling you as his people to be. Our primary text for today is uh, from Luke chapter 4, uh, chapter, or verses 4, verses 8, and verse 12. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So we find through his time in the wilderness that Jesus answers Satan 
each time and in the form of one statement. It is written. If you've been reading along in the book, one of your daily uh, times was talking about this very simple statement, it is written. We live in a world that feeds on conflict. We love to sound the alarm or to be set off by somebody bringing to light something uh, that we would consider unjust, and we love shock. That is why news has gone from 5 o'clock and 10 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning to 24-hour news cycles. That is why the people who usually just report on what is happening in the world have now become commentaries on what they think is happening. And it's no longer this event is unfolding. It is this event is unfolding, and we want you to hear the expert opinion of this person and that person. And we want you to get an understanding of what's going to happen 20 days down the road, even though we don't really actually know everything that's going on. We're addicted to social media affirmation, and we use these platforms uh, in the same way to react to these things that set us off. Uh, I've always said that social media has made it possible for people to say things and get away with it that they would never say to somebody's face. And it has taken away our ability as a people to think before we speak. And used to, when somebody did you wrong or somebody made you mad, you had a 20-minute drive to the house or to their house where you could think about it and you could realize that it's not that big of an issue or you could realize that you might need to call some backup before you go in there by yourself to handle business. But no longer is that a thing because we've gotten to where we can, uh, uh, we can address all sorts of news and offenses immediately. But the problem is, is... We still try to do that, and we try to maintain a, a Jesus-loving image. And so our comments come across as passive-aggressive, or they are backhanded comments in, in order to make us look like we're really good people, but in reality, uh, we're not being the nicest person. So in the wilderness, Jesus responded to the devil in a way that is completely different uh, than the way that we see people responding on social media. In his moment of biggest conflict, we see Jesus as calm, as cool, and, and very confident. Jesus wasn't hangry. You know the term hangry, don't you? I live in a house with three uh, girls, and I am very familiar with the term hangry. Um, I carry some crackers around in the backpack in case, you know, like a grenade. I just throw them. Just, that's not true. They carry their own crackers. Um, but hungry, you know what I'm talking about. When, when you're hungry and you're just in a bad mood and you need something there that is going to fix your problem. So Jesus, uh, having been now this period of time without food, he doesn't respond in a, a hangry or irritable way. He's not reacting to the things that Satan's putting before them. Um, and he's not even taking it as a personal attack. I think that's one of the greatest things about the person of Jesus Christ that you and I are supposed to pick up and we're supposed to model and we're supposed to make about our own life is, is that throughout scripture, you never see Jesus take confrontation as a personal attack. And that is in stark contrast to the world we live in to where now everything is a personal attack. Even if it's not even said to you or directed at you, you're supposed to be offended by it and you're supposed to say something about it. But Jesus, 
in his time in the wilderness was never controlled by the devil's plays or the devil's moves. That is something that you and I need to be aware of is that Satan tries to do things to trigger you and to set you off. And he knows that if he can set us off with just the smallest thing, then it makes the rest of his job so much easier. So in the heart of Jesus' narrative, we see that he responds with these statements, it is written or it is said. And every single thing that Jesus says in response to Satan comes directly out of the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is one of those books in the Old Testament, and it tells about the covenant story of God and his people Israel. At the time when Jesus was pulling from it, it was close to probably a thousand years old. And so Jesus directly responds to Satan with the word of God. And in doing so, what he does is he ties his story back with the original thing that God had been doing in humanity from the very beginning. But then he also does something else. He ties his story with the story that you and I are living now. By responding to Satan with the words that come from such a long time ago when God was speaking to his people, Jesus makes the direct connection to the faith that you and I are living today. So this morning, I want us to pay attention to each of the things that Satan tries to tempt Jesus with. And I want us to look at the way that Jesus answers him. The first thing is that it is written means that God spoke first. So in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, there's a time when uh, Absalom, that's the line. I just went blank. I hate it when that happens. I was thinking transmission in a tractor and I just went blank. Absalom was standing there and he was confronting the witch and the witch decides to quote the law to him. And he says, do not speak to me of the old ways, which I was there when it was written. So when we say it is written, Jesus is referring to the fact that God has already spoken something that is foundational, something that is immovable, something that cannot be altered or changed. You remember when you were a kid growing up and you were at vacation Bible school or you were in Sunday school class or maybe you were sitting with grandma or grandpa and they told you a Bible verse and for some reason it just stuck with you. So I remember when my family started going to church, went to vacation Bible school, and the theme that week was the fruit of the Spirit. And I've shared this story with you before, but we had this craft where we had a piece of wood, and we took a coloring sheet, and we did the Elmer's glue thing where you glue it to the, the piece of wood, and then we took aquarium rocks, and we colored in the different fruit of the Spirit, and we had to learn Galatians 5.22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I was in the third grade when I memorized that verse. And I still remember that verse. And you'd be amazed at how that passage of scripture, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going through, is able to help me remember who God has called me to be. It is to help me remember who Jesus Christ has said that I am. So... When all of hell's fury was breaking loose for Jesus in his time in the wilderness, he didn't phone a friend. 
He didn't pick up his phone and call for mom or dad. Well, I guess he called for dad. That's not true. I can't say that. But he quoted scripture. And, and I think we forget the, the benefit or the resource of that. Because what we are seeing here is that Satan is trying something that he has tried several times before. When Adam and Eve stumbled in the garden, it was because they did not have an answer for the enemy. You ever had somebody confront you before and you didn't really have an answer to tell them? The best thing in an argument or a debate is to have an answer. And usually the sign of losing that debate or that argument is when you don't have an answer. You know those times when you and your spouse are having a disagreement and they say something that you know is right. So all you can do is pull out the classic, well, your mom, and then just walk away. You know those moments. So when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they didn't have an answer, that's when they stumbled. When Satan pulled out to Eve and said, well, did God really say that you couldn't do this? Well, not really, I don't guess. So their hearts failed them. Eve leaned on herself and her understanding of what was going on and it failed her. But then we see this is also what Satan does through the history of God's people. He always tells them a better way. When Moses was up on the mountain getting the tablets, what happens when he came down? They had already fashioned golden calves and they were worshiping these golden calves because the God who parted the waters must not have been big enough and the God that led them by fire must not have been big enough and the God that did all of these things that they saw wasn't big enough. So they trusted in their hearts and their hearts failed them. They began to entertain the temptations that opened the door that allowed his lies to further impact the identity of their soul. That is what Satan tries to do with believers on a daily basis. Remember, he, he doesn't have to do something cosmic or something magical. He doesn't have to show up as this uh, horned, fiery, breathing thing and scare you into believing him. He just has to get you to believe something that you're telling yourself. You remember last week, those if statements. I can't tell you how many times I laid in bed at night with if statements. Well, if this happens, then that's what's going to go down. If, if they do this, what am I going to do about that? Or well, what if this happens? And I lose so much precious time sleeping because I'm worried about things that might be. Satan has been in my head trying to impact what God has already said. So Adam and Eve failed to answer the enemy's temptations. Israel fails to answer the enemy's temptations. But however, Jesus in his time in the wilderness did not fail. But instead he used this phrase, it is written, to confound Satan when he tried to lure him away. It is this simple phrase, it is written, that many people have leaned on through the worst seasons of their life. It is written. You know that hymn, it is well with my soul, when peace like a river attendeth my way. That was written because somebody at the worst moment that they had ever experienced remembered what Jesus said. Remembered those words found in Revelation that one day he will wipe away every tear from their eye and sadness will be no more. 
He remembered the psalmist's words that though sorrow may come through the night, there's joy that comes with every new morning. It was written. So the first temptation that Satan offers comes in verses 3 and 4 where the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. So the first temptation for this Jesus who has been starving himself in the wilderness, was to obey simply a suggestion. You ever have somebody offer you a, a suggestion and it turns out terribly? Yeah, I, I think back on high school about that. And so he just made a simple suggestion. Jesus, you're the son of God. Turn this stone into some neem-neem bread and all will be well. You ever had neem-neem bread? You know what I'm talking about? Thomas knows what I'm talking about. Thomas' grandmother makes some bread that's amazing. We got like six loaves of it in the freezer, and we treat it like it's gold. Well, he said, if you're the son of God, just turn it into some kneading bread, and all will be well. That's it. It's a simple suggestion to solve a, a problem. But Jesus' response was not something that you and I would have thought it would have been, it wasn't, yeah, I guess I could do that. You know, no harm, no foul. I mean, what is it really going to hurt? Uh, but he says, man shall not live by bread alone. We lean on that word a lot, that bread alone statement, you know, because we're supposed to read the Bible that's what Christians do. So Satan is tempting Jesus with the same temptation that he used on Adam and Eve and the same temptation that he used on Israel and humanity ever since. You've got a problem. You have the power to fix it. Why don't you just fix it? It's only 20 bucks that'll solve your problem. Why don't you just take it? Nobody's going to miss it. You know what I'm talking about? Each of you knows what I'm talking about. You're, you're thinking of something in your head. So in every situation, Satan only tries to pressure his target to misuse what God has done, the position and the power that they have in life for their own benefit. And you say, what's wrong with that? Well, the mafia did that. Tax frauds do that. Politicians do that. <clears throat> in his time in the wilderness, Satan tells Jesus to follow a simple suggestion, a simple guidance. Jesus, use the power for your good. Solve your hunger. But Jesus responded in a way where he refused to let his appetite leave. Because Jesus knew that he was given power not for the sake of solving his problems, but to serve others. And he had been called for the sake of serving others. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, did you know that you have not been called to sit in church on Sunday morning and be a good person? You have been called to serve other people. You have been given power not to feel good about yourself, but you have been given power to serve others. You know, I was thinking the other day, we had men's prayer breakfast, and I had just read an article before I, I was walking in there, something I really wanted to share with the guys, but I didn't do it. But I got to thinking, you know, Christians really treat church a lot of the same way that we look at the federal government and the welfare system. Is that we expect the church to do all the work, to provide all the resources, to do all the things, and all we have to do is show up. 
Now, I'm not talking bad about the welfare system. It has helped several people. It has helped many people. But the idea that we show up and we get everything that we're supposed to have to be happy and healthy and have everything that everybody else has, it just makes no sense. And it doesn't work. And countries that have gotten too upside down with their welfare system has found that it has actually been detrimental. And so, in a way, when we have too much of a good thing, we make it something bad. And that's what Satan is trying to do with Jesus here. He's trying to take this thing which is good and he's trying to use it in such a way that makes it bad. But Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and he answers this temptation from Satan actually on behalf of every single one of us that are gathered here. And he says, be careful. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 8 says. I don't think Jesus quoted the whole thing. It says, be careful to follow every command that I give you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? He did this to humble you and to test you so that you would know what is in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you. He caused you to hunger and then he fed you with manna. This is something neither you nor your ancestors had known of. He did this to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That sometimes a simple faith can do more for us than a simple response to our problem. God can do more than just a simple fixing of our problem. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. So know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. I had a wise man tell me one time that only a fool does not like being disciplined. Only a fool hates correction. It's also found in the book of Proverbs. It's my turn. It is written, means a promise has been made. In Luke chapter 4, the Spirit leads, leads Jesus into the wilderness. But in the second temptation, we see that it was actually the devil who led Jesus to a high place. So this temptation begins with the realization, first and foremost, that Jesus allowed the devil to lead him somewhere. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 8, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor because it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you will only worship me, it will all be yours. So Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him. So Jesus answered this temptation to have the entire world that was before him complete without suffering, without pain, without challenge to the things that he wanted. This is a temptation that all of us face, isn't it? We would all like to have a world that is free of suffering. We would like to have a world that is free of difficulty and pain. And we would all love to have a faith in Jesus Christ that comes without work. Am I right? We can serve as long as it doesn't cost us something. We can help others as long as it doesn't take away from our bottom line. Am I right? That's what we want. That's, that's the easy thing. That's what we think Jesus should give us. So we like to think that Jesus calls us to a life 
that bypasses serving and suffering for others. But Jesus answers Satan in the first of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. It was listed before all the others to show that God had intentions when he formed this covenant with his people. That he intended to be their God forever. It wasn't just made with this group and it wasn't for the next group. It was for all of them. And it said, you shall have no other gods before me. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. So Jesus responded to Satan out of loyalty. And he said, I am loyal to my father and I am loyal to those that I have come to serve. And the kingdoms of this planet are small compared to the kingdom that God has allowed me to represent. How many times does the world tell us that? When do we see a commercial advertising something that tells us that what God has promised his people is way bigger than everything else we could amass on this earth? We don't ever see that, do we? It tells us to, to get all that we can, to take all that we can, to hold all that we can. We talk about these people that are like trillionaires and billionaires. You know, used to the thing was millionaires. They say millionaires is not that uncommon anymore, but it's billionaires. That's who you want to be as a billionaire. And you see these people that have like 600 and something billion dollars. I'm fairly certain if you tried to spend all that money, you could never spend all that money. But the world tells us that is what success looks like. But Jesus offered this response to Satan, that God has promised me more than you could ever give me in this world. And that is where my allegiance lies. So it is written means that an allegiance has already been settled. In the third temptation, the very meaning of who Jesus is, is at stake. The devil is seeking to unname Jesus as the Lord who saves. To cut off who he is before God. To kill his ministry before it even really begins. Does that not sound like the goal of an enemy that seeks to crush a soul? That is the same battle that Satan is waging against you each and every day. Suggestions, just ideas of how you can better yourself. And through simple things, he undoes so much that God has come to do. So this is his last chance. He has one shot left. And the devil leads Jesus to Jerusalem and have him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And they will lift you up. And they will lift you up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Israelites had put God to a test. He had walked them through the wilderness and he had done all these amazing things. But they get to this place where the people decide that they want some water. They're thirsty and what they had has not been good enough. And they want God to prove that he is real. You ever had a time like that with God? God, things just aren't working out the way that I think they should. You need to prove yourself to me. Anybody ever done that? 
or God, life is really tough right now. If you would just do this, I'd know without a doubt. You ever have that? Okay. So in this place of Massa, which in the Hebrew language means testing, in the place of quarreling, the people, the chosen people who had been set apart, demanded water, and they tested God and Moses. And they complained the whole way so that God would do what they wanted them to do. You ever resisted something that God wanted you to do in life? It never turns out well, does it? Sometimes it's devastating, sometimes it's, it's mildly uncomfortable, and sometimes it's just this awkward, empty feeling. So when Satan tests Jesus here in this wilderness and he tries to even throw a little bit of scripture at him, Jesus said he's not going to be testing God. But he's going to do something that Israel couldn't. He's going to resist the temptation of Satan. And he's going to understand that it's not smart to force God's hand. And he doesn't need to manipulate God because God has already done something for him that Jesus is confident in. Our allegiance as Christians must be settled just as Jesus' was here in the wilderness. We must recognize that Satan is whispering in our ear to tell us that we must prove that God loves us, to tell us that others have to affirm for us what God says about us, that by placing our faith on social display for others to see and give the nod to, that's how we know that God is real and if God really loves us. So my challenge for you is this. I want you to ask yourself, have you established within your heart that it is written is a final statement? There's an academic response to it is written where we look at the page and go, yep, it's written. But then there is a final response where we see that it is written is God's declaration about us. That when we read the promises and the passages from scripture, that we know that these are words that strengthen us in seasons of battle and Satan is trying to use circumstances to confuse us and to unseat us as a son or a daughter. So I want to challenge you to do as the psalmist says, to hide God's word in your heart. That no matter what season you are in, to know that if we do not address the whispers and the temptations of Satan directly, that if we do not lean on the word of God to give us strength, that we will succumb to an evil that, false, that gives us false promises again and again. In the book it said the word of God is given power to work in us through the spirit of God. And it enables us to face down demonic schemes. And it's assigned to us by the spirit who comes with God's embrace to offer life instead of us relying on our own strength. So my challenge you is this, to address the enemy with the word of God, the two-edged sword, the weapon that the spirit uses to divide the truth of God from the lies of the enemy.
to stand firm even in seasons of wilderness because God has already said and it has already been written. Can you join me as I pray? Father God, we thank you for your word that has been written for us this day. God, we know that in seasons of sorrow and seasons of trying that Satan's goal is to tear us apart from you and to get us to believe something that you have not said. So God, when those seasons come, help us not to rely on the affirmations of others and help us not to pay attention to those whispers drawing us away from you. But God, help us to respond as Jesus did, knowing that it is written that your word was spoken to be inscribed on our hearts, to give us life, to lead us in the direction that you are, to confirm our identity as your people. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ.